Welcome to Potter Visited, episode three. This chapter, titled either Local Man Hates Mail or Vernon Dursley in Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds. What is the real chapter? Oh, it's called Letters from No One. Counteroffer, my titles are better. <laughs> Not saying I could improve the Harry Potter books, because I couldn't, but I could clearly improve at least one or two chapter titles. Well, you got Tori. Oh yeah. This is Shay. Diving into the third chapter in Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Not to be confused with Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. We are not Americans, we are Canadians. You're welcome. <laughs> Sorry, America. I mean, America's going through a hard time. They've seen some things. It's been rough, but... You guys will be alright. You'll, 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 you'll get through this. They got a new president. Hopefully things can uh, work out a bit. They're just a few pairs of Bernie Mittens away from happiness, I'm sure. <laughs> Important question is, what tea are you drinking? Well, I'm having orange pico again, because once again, I'm at it with my Pudgeo cookies. I'm also having orange pico. <laughs> Very steep because I got talking with my roommate and I forgot I was making tea. The amount of like teacups and saucers I have like sitting around my apartment in different places because I made a pot of tea, poured myself a cup, put it down, did something, forgot I'd already poured my cup of tea, poured another cup of tea. It's, it's actually embarrassing. <laughs> I'm really bad for making tea, forgetting I was going to make tea and then just having really oversteeped tea, but still drink it because can't waste tea. Because tea is life. <laughs> All right, starting off here, we have some light topics and I just wanted to highlight the beginning of Sassy Harry which is something the fandom really enjoys because I feel like the movies didn't capture just how sassy and just like these zingers Harry that delivers in all of these books. Yeah, they kind of made him a little bit more bland in the movies. Like there's a little bit of like extra razzle dazzle in book Harry that's just very nice. When he t tells Dugley, the poor toilet's never had anything as horrible as your head down it, it might get sick. That's a good one. They really do remove a lot of Harry's best lines in the movies. Yeah, he's so sarcastic. Like he, I get that Harry has a lot going on, but I think it makes him more like a kid, and he's more like relatable that way. Cause like his cousin's being mean to him, and he's just like being the sarcastic eleven-year-old. Like I think we can all relate to that, especially growing up with like siblings and stuff. Like you're always thrown out one-liners or being a brat. So I just feel like he has some really great um, one-liners in this. Um, chapter and then going through I definitely want to keep track of just like Harry just being his sassy self and just like wishing which ones could actually be in the movie. I feel like Dan Rad did a really good job but like maybe they could have included some more sassy Harry in it but I don't know. Maybe Harry was just too sassy for the movies. I think maybe it's almost like they thought to make Harry more relatable so that every child reading it could relate they thought they'd remove away some of his more distinct personality traits so he was more of like an empty slate for people to project themselves onto because maybe not all kids are sarcastic so like we relate more to the sarcastic harry because that's who we are but they were like whitewashing him into a more sort of generic outline so that everyone can project themselves on it i mean for the main character in the series harry isn't usually someone's favorite character like when you ask someone like oh what's your favorite character from harry potter no one says, oh harry potter yeah, that's true. I mean, he's great. He's fantastic. I think part of why he's not a lot of people's favorite character who've seen the movies is that, that they took a lot of, like, he doesn't have a huge interesting personality, really. But Harry doesn't really have time to lean on personality because he has to do so much. Like, he's always doing things. 
So even though it's his monologue that you get, you don't get to spend as much time just dealing with his personality, kind of. Like the fun quirks. I just feel like with this kind of series, there's so many characters. So when you think of Harry Potter, like, well, obviously I like Harry because it's about him. But like, when you think of your favorite character, it just feels kind of like boring to say Harry. I feel like for kids, a lot of people say Harry because you're a kid and that's the main character. And it's usually who kids, when they read the books, that's who they identify with. But when you're older, you're like, there's so many cool characters in Harry Potter. Why would I say Harry Potter? I think people also generally choose a character that they can kind of relate to in some way. And because Harry's the big deal, Harry's the hero, Harry's the savior, it's kind of hard to see yourself in that sometimes as much to like outwardly say that. More so than saying like, well, I can relate to Ron because I'm goofy and I have friends who are really great and accomplished and I know what it's like to have sibling rivalries. And it's sort of easier to publicly say you can relate to characters that aren't Harry Potter, you know? I can relate to him because I too am the last hope for this world to survive and overcome the evil. It's me. <laughs> I knew it. Relatable. <laughs> I, as a child though, Snape was my favorite character, even as a kid. I remember my sixth grade teacher and she loved the Harry Potter books and she asked me who my favorite character was day was. And I was like, my favorite character is Snape. And she's like, really? <laughs> and I was like, yep. Yeah, that's probably like the what you're not expecting because I had that teacher too and I'm a year older than you so like I also read the Harry Potter books when I was in the sixth grade so like I probably had like the most basic answer like Hermione or like whatever and then she just gets this kid being like oh Snape's your character you're like what definitely yeah they really just sort of divided up like traits and handed them out individually to each of the characters they're like okay we're gonna let Hermione be smart and Ron be funny and Harry be heroic and that's, that's, that's enough. That's all they need. And it's kind of like, no. Yeah. It's a very, like, movie formula stuff, which if we ever discuss the movie in future episodes, I can get into whole movie formulas and stuff like that. It just feels like they neglected the fact that, like, each of the trio have sprinklings of all of those traits into them. And it's just easier to, you don't have time for the nuances, I guess, in film that you have in the book. So they just sort of decided to assign those traits specifically to one character each, which is sad. It's kind of a disservice because it makes Hermione seem less than because she's just the smart one who knows all of the things and makes Ron less. Yeah, and they kind of take away a lot of Hermione's flaws. Like we can get into this for when we discuss the films more, but there's definitely like, looking back at the films now, they definitely made Hermione more of like a super character where she was just really smart, really like heroic character and like a really... I think they wanted it, her to be, like, this, like, character for girls to look up to. But the thing about Hermione is, like, she's a great character and role model. But she's also a flawed character. And that, which, that's what makes her such a great character. Especially as, like, my favorite character. And then in A Disservice to Ron, they kind of ruined his character. Because a lot of Ron's, like, lines or characteristics from the novels are given to Hermione in the movies. And then Ron's just, like, this side character that doesn't really do too much. Just really unfortunate. Yeah, I know a lot of that part of that was that one of the earlier directors said to the author that his favorite character was Hermione. And so I think maybe they played a little bit of favorites as the director to sort of give more positives to Hermione. Yeah, I wonder how much favoritism, because I also had this feeling like, I don't know if this is accurate, but the screenwriter for the Harry Potter series, apparently I've heard just like TikTok conspiracy theories that he was very into the idea of Harry and Hermione. So that's why there was a lot of Harry and that's Hermione true. moments in the movie because he was really into it. And it just kind of makes sense. 
looking back at it because there's just like things that don't need to be there that I'm like I get that Dan and Emma have great chemistry and they rolled with it but I was just like this makes a lot of sense not all chemistry needs to be romantic chemistry you know just because people act well together and they interact well like looking back at that weird Harry and Hermione dance and the like Deathly Hollows, like that was just I get that it was supposed to be like this really like, heartwarming like moment and stuff, but it just felt so weird to me. It's one of those things that to me just seems like a waste of film time. Like there's so many other good things in the books that they could have included and they wasted that much time to have this unnecessary moment that just... Especially in the last movie. But it could also be a reason why Harry and Ginny were written so poorly. Like I know that Bonnie and, and Dan didn't have great chemistry, but they couldn't like control that because they were kids and they were casted. But I'm like the writing for Jenny especially was terrible, and I'm just like, did he sabotage it on purpose? Oh my gosh, I hope not. That'd be very. Upsetting. I got deep. I got deep into some TikTok conspiracies. <laughs> but yeah, they really did. It's kind of like if the actors Daniel Radcliffe and Bonnie Wright had more chemistry, it would be okay that there wasn't even a lot of scenes of them just having good conversations because there'd be that in the air anyway. But because they didn't have that chemistry, they needed to have really good dialogue. And it was so distinctly absent that they had awkward moments like the shoe tying scene where they're not saying anything. And I'm like, that's a weird enough, that's, that's a weird enough thing to do as is. Yeah, that was, especially Ginny's character in general in the movies was terrible. But it's very unlike Ginny, who's like the strong, independent woman, to like bend down and tie the shoe of a person who's fully capable of it. And also it's like, no, small, little, quiet, physical things like that work if there's steaming chemistry. When there isn't some, if there isn't any chemistry. Yeah, you can't rely on th- those kind of moments if there's not, the chemistry's not there. Like it has yeah. to be like the writing and like the way things are captured and it was just uh it, that's probably one of the reasons why i don't like half blood prince movie because the romance between harry and Jenny is just so painful and i loved the romance in the, the book so much like the way harry realizes that he has a thing for Ginny in the books oh it's like one of my favorite parts of that book besides like all the other great stuff but like the movie like ruined that for me and then also it was also kind of a terrible movie so. yeah it was my favorite book i hated the sixth i mean I still watched the sixth movie because there's lots of things I like in it, but it, it it was a complete disservice to the novel. But I think for sure, good writing for interactions between Ginny and Harry in the movie could have saved how the relationship is portrayed and it was not there and they did not put in the effort that needed to be put in to make it happen. So I like 0% blame the actors for this. You know what I mean? They tried their best and good dialogue could have saved it and... They didn't write their dialogue. Yeah, they can only do like, what they're given with, and they weren't given any great. interviews with Bonnie Wright. And I realized how much more like Ginny she is than movie Ginny. Like she could have been herself and done that role more justice than what they clearly directed her to do. So it just seems like the entire production crew had a misunderstanding of what Ginny Weasley is or who Ginny Weasley is. Yeah, that's why Ginny was so ruined in movies. Because she's so fantastic and she comes across... She's so like underrated for people who only pay attention to the movies kind of because of how they treat her. But she's actually such an absolute badass. She should be so many more people's favorite character or most relatable character. But she just never gets that treatment for people who haven't read the books. Yeah. Justice for Jenny. Hopefully if they ever remake the series in like 50 years, they actually do Jenny right. All right, moving on from movie discussion. What else did we have? Oh, yeah. So Vernon's acting a little bit cuckoo. Yeah, I think it's interesting that 
as a person who spends so much of his time trying to appear normal and stable and boring and consistent, he becomes the opposite of all of those things in this chapter. He becomes like rash minded and irrational and spontaneous in a bad way. And it's just, there's no logic. There's no consistency. I always notice he gives Dougley and Petunia kind of like, harsh word before like you know like Dougley's his spoiled kid and he like they usually work around whatever Dougley wants but then he kind of tells Dougley like no we're doing this we're leaving like you just like you need to listen to me and he's like it's the first probably one of the first times he's very like harsh or just kind of like you need to listen to me to his wife and kid and it's like a change from like probably for Dougley because he's has had his parents run his finger for his whole life and then all of a sudden now his parents are like nope we're in charge now he loses his noodles and it's just like what is his long-term goal what is like i'm gonna nail shut my mailbox okay great now it's coming in the fireplace well i'll nail up the fireplace like that's not a practical way to live your life long term it feels like he's very short-term goals in this chapter and uh it's just not practical i get it that it's heat of the moment and he's frantic but like i need to know what his plan is i need to understand what things he's doing now he thinks will actually help him in the long run because none of them seem practical how is he going to pay his bills if the mail slot's blocked? The power will go out. The heat will turn off. Yeah, he's definitely just thinking of, like, short-term goals. Because the long-term goal is that he doesn't want Harry to find out about that he's a wizard or to go to Hogwarts. So he's just thinking of things like, well, he, so he can't get that letter. So it's everything. So Harry cannot get that letter. But it's all these things that, like, don't really make sense. Yeah, he just loses his noodles. I also think it's interesting that after the arrival of the first letter, Vernon moves Harry out of the cupboard and into the spare bedroom. And I always wondered whether or not that was him thinking, oh, well, because it was addressed to the cupboard under the stairs, if he's not in there, they won't be able to find him. Or if he thought, they know I'm keeping a child in a closet. I don't want the wizard child support workers to show up and arrest me, so I'll put him in a bedroom so I don't look like I'm engaging in child abuse like what exactly was his motivation yeah i was what's going on with like when who was ever addressing these letters because they're like oh harry potter lives in a closet that's normal i'm like what <laughs> someone literally had to put the address on there unless it's like a spell or something but like someone yeah i always thought it was like a, a quick notes quill type situation where like they say send it to harry potter and it magically because of i don't know magic traces and whatnot knows exactly where he is no one should have done their due diligence like this kid's living in a closet and then everyone's like yeah that's normal that's fine casual like maybe they think it's like cute muggle slang like oh closet is just what you call a cute kitschy bedroom with a window seat or something who knows <laughs> oh god who knows you know muggles and their weird slang for rooms yeah you have a point here if a muggle commits a crime against a wizard is it tried in muggle court or wizard court <laughs> right i mean like think about it like child abuse has got to be a crime in the wizarding world too so if they'd actually decided to prosecute, would Vernon Dudley be charged under, like, would the wizard police, <laughs> would the Auras report him through channels to the muggle police and the muggle police would arrest him and put him in muggle jail for child abuse? I guess. Or would it be because he was abusing a wizard, would he go to Azkaban? <laughs> like, I feel like they had to keep him in the muggle ward because like, they don't want him to really know much about the wizarding world. I just feel like maybe the wizards would influence his trial and like muggle court maybe, I don't know. Yeah, it just, it's an interesting, I just 
it was a random question that sort of popped into my head. The idea of like Vernon Dursley and like the Ministry of Magic in front of the Wismagot. <laughs> Just being like, you foolish people in your silly robes. <laughs> I'm allowed to abuse my nephew. And Dursley in like any wizarding setting would be so funny. What do you think would be the funniest wizarding setting for Vernon Dursley? I always like to see Hogwarts as like a normal school that had parent-teacher conferences. Oh my goodness. And just like them having to have a conference with like his teachers. I kind of think it would be funny to have Vernon Dursley casually there in some of the more serious, intense moments just to see how he'd react to like in the fourth book when Voldemort's got Harry in the graveyard and he's like, poking him and taking his blood. Like, just Vernon Dursley there, like, this wizarding hogwash. <laughs> like, how did I get here? Take that, Harry. Oh, Vernon Dursley. Like, not knowing whether or not he wants Harry to be in pain or he wants the strange noseless man to not be happy. Like, just the internal struggles. Vernon's just a simple man with a simple job, with a simple life. Or flushing himself into the Ministry of Magic. That would probably be grand. Oh, God. Well, I don't even, why would he even put his feet in the toilet? <laughs> Yeah, Vernon is, uh, he's, it is funny to picture characters. I would almost, it's also funny to put Arthur Weasley in muggle situations. I mean, we've seen him take the train, but like, it's always funny to take people completely out of their own worlds and imagine them like, imagine Arthur Weasley at Walmart, just for a minute. Just imagine. It'd be so crazy. Or Ikea. (laughs) Oh my god, Ikea. Ikea is just like an experience in itself. The muggle version of the Triwizard Tournament definitely involves getting out of a maze that's actually just an Ikea. (laughs) We should really think about what the other two tasks would be in the muggling Triwizard Cup. Tri-muggle cup. Well, getting out of Ikea. Probably like calling your bank about anything. Just to have to call the bank, be on hold, get put through to someone, like that's got to be part of it. It should be taking the subway at rush hour in Toronto because that is a challenge in itself. Yeah, or in Montreal when you're not entirely fluent in French and the Metro gets stuck in the tunnel and they only tell you what's going on in French, but you can't really hear the voice anyway. So even if you are fluent in French, you have no idea what's happening. Yeah, I was wondering how many unreceived letters should they be sending to someone before they actually send a member of the Hogwarts staff? Because I did a wee calculation and I counted he gets one letter to the cupboard, one letter to the smallest bedroom, then he gets three more letters, then 12 more letters, then he gets 24 letters, then he gets 30 or 40 level letters, and then he gets 100, about 100, when he's at the hotel. Which, now I have to do math, but that's like 170 something. So yeah, that's pretty crazy because you think of like your bank or just kind of like other like important letters, they usually send three letters or something and then it's kind of like calling you or trying to get in touch with you. Yeah, now, now the government's after you for tax evasion. (laughs) Yeah, something like that. I'm just wondering, like, I know that like, you know, Hermione said that when she got her letter that like McGonagall came to her house to explain it to her parents. And I just figured like Harry was raised by muggles. So, like, why didn't they send a teacher there? Because, like, I know he's not a muggle, but he was raised by muggles. So, like, if they, they thought his par- his aunt and uncle weren't completely batshit crazy and, like, were normal parents, like, wouldn't they have to explain it to them, too? Like, Dumbledore just expected a lot from the Dursleys when I think that they gave no reason for him to expect so much from them. Like, I mean, yeah. Honestly, why Dumbledore? <laughs> why? Yeah, another why Dumbledore moment. It's just, like, that. that's just about... Everything in the series is just why Dumbledore, like, smartest man in the world, apparently, but Dumbledore either doesn't, like, see Harry as this actual person, it's just this thing that he needs to get from one place to another, but it's just, like, there are real variables yeah. to, like, think about. Yeah, Dumbledore's, um, 
here for this living, breathing human. He He's really good at anticipating things that are going to happen and preparing for them. If something out of the blue comes up, he's not the best at reacting to it, I guess. It's like his forethought is his strength. And if he can't plan yeah. for it, he's like, I won't consider it at all. Everything will go exactly as I intended. You know, what do you think Dumbledore was doing when he, he wasn't responding to the letters or like that he found out the, that he was moving around? And Dumbledore's like, oh, well, like, oh, maybe he just hasn't like opened it. Like, does he actually think the Dursleys are like withholding it? Or like, what's Dumbledore thinking right now? I feel like the first few letters, he's like, oh, owls these days, you know? It's just like, blame owls. Yeah. <laughs> as one blames FedEx or Amazon. Or maybe he just thought like, oh, the Dursleys aren't letting him open them, so I'll just send a hundred letters. I think after like five, he sends one to Petunia that's like, hey, Petunia, it's that scary magic man. <laughs> hey, bitch, you better let him open this. It's I, the big scary magic man, just reminding you to let Harry have his letter. Sincerely, the big scary magic man. <laughs> like, you know? Slightly threatening reminder that he still exists and is big and scary. Uh, we had a no name drop, which is Aunt Marge, because I like keeping track of um, who we hear about before we actually meet. So we won't meet Aunt Marge until book three, but we get to hear about Aunt Marge. I hate her. Yeah, and Aunt Marge is the worst. The absolute worst. You think Vernon's bad? I mean, okay, there are wor- there's slightly worse people yeah. than Aunt Marge, but man, do I hate her. Yeah, I think everyone has, like, family members that they really don't like, and you just kind of, like, have to put up with them because it's, all oh, it's your family, it's your blood, and you're like, no, they're an asshole. Jumping in to our next discussion, we have communication in the wizarding world. This is definitely something that could be talked about in depth more, but I just was one- I just uh, noticed that- they don't seem to have, in the Harry Potter series, like, everything is so far back in time. Like, I think the series is supposed to take place in the 90s. So we have, like, Dudley having computer games and the computers and stuff, but the wizards still rely on mail. Like, they write everything with quill and ink. There's no technology. In fact, technology doesn't even work at Hogwarts. So it's just like, even though it's placed in the 90s, wizard communication still stuck in like the 1800s or something. Like they still use quill and ink. They still like write letters when like, I'm pretty sure the internet and email was available then. Yeah, I remember my like early school years. Like I remember when I got my first cell phone, you know? As a kid, like having a cell phone, a pay-as-you-go pink Motorola Razor. Like I remember getting email in like the 2000s and I get this place like in the 90s. But like I get that probably having like technology is just kind of like a hindrance for the plot and stuff. So like that's why it's easier to be set in the wizarding world where like things can ha- happen easier for the plot without like technology and everything. I also think that for like a secret keeping perspective of it, like trying to keep the wizarding world secret, if... Wizard kids had emails and they could go on Omegle or Twitter or something. Imagine, like, just the things they would say. <laughs> I'm not saying that they have internet. I would just be saying, like, that they have their own version of stuff. Like, they have their own version of the wireless, which is basically the radio. Like, they have their own versions of stuff. But I just feel like it's very, like, stuck, like, who wants to write an essay by hand with quill and ink? I would rather write anything by hand than have to type it. <laughs> but oh, really? Oh my I god. I can type way faster than I can, t- like, I have this problem where I think faster than I can write, so when I type, I can actually, like, kind of think faster enough. 
Oh god, no. I think so much faster when I have a pen in my hand. <laughs> They're very behind. I think part of it also because they block out technology from working at Hogwarts. So I think that's part of their intentions of making sure that like the Muggleborns and the Half-Bloods don't bring technology to Hogwarts and introduce it to the, all the purebloods. And... Yeah. Well, can you imagine like having like a cool like your like Nintendo Switch or something and being excited to like use it and then you go to Hogwarts and then you can't use it and you're like... Like, just imagine these 21st century Muggleborns and they go to Hogwarts and things don't work. And it's just like, there's no Wi-Fi here? What? I also, I remember when we were in high school at one point, someone started a Twitter account for our school. And it, I mean, it was just ridiculous dumb things people overheard. But imagine, like, the Hogwarts overheard at Twitter. I mean, it would be wild. That'd be funny. Someone should start a Twitter account called that, Overheard at Hogwarts. I don't have time. I'm busy. I'm busy! Might already exist, to be honest. Overheard at Hogwarts probably exists. I would love that Overheard at Hogwarts account that all the kids are reading and the teachers don't know about it. And it's like, Overheard at Hogwarts, Professor McGonagall making fun of Snape's hair. I don't know. <laughs> like, just beautiful stuff. Glorious things, you know? <laughs> Yeah, I just find that they did make some stuff that was kind of like a replacement for stuff like those like kind of two-way mirrors. It's kind of like FaceTime, but it's like funny. I just feel like the communication sometimes is just like, with letter, is letters really the best you can do? Like there's magic. I made a list of all of the like wizarding communications. So they've got owls, which to me is just like snail mail. It's like sending something in the mail. And they've got flu chat, which they don't really talk about because there's the flu network that you use to travel. And then there's the serious black method of sticking your face in the flames and talking to people through fire, which seems so uncomfortable. But I mean, apparently that's a thing. So I guess that's kind of like Skype. And then at the ministry, they've got those little paper airplanes, which I think is fun. I think that's a good one. And I know some of the students do that passing notes in class. At least I saw it in one of the movies. So that's kind of cute. Paintings are kind of a method of communication, like, hey, painting of this person, go tell your other paintings, you know, like, jump to your other painting and tell everyone there what's going on. But that's a weird method of communication because you're talking to someone that was painted and that person might decide not to do that. Uh, then there's Dudley's muggle technology, which isn't used at all really by the wizards. Oh, and then mirror shards, you know, vaguely given to people as gifts and not fully explained. It's like if you downloaded Zoom, but all of the instructions were in Russian. Yeah, of course. Another form of communication is Patronuses, specifically, I don't know what it's called in the book. Is it Protein Patronus? The Patronus where they can make it talk. Apparently it's very difficult with that. I believe Dumbledore and Thor the Phoenix use them to communicate with each other. So that's kind of like, I don't know if it'd be like, it's not quite FaceTime. That's kind of like a video message, I guess. Maybe it's like Snapchat. It's a weird use. It's a weird use of a Patronus, yeah. I find. Like, what we know about Patronuses and what we learn about Patronus logically, like, this is how they work for defense. They can, like, guide you through the darkness. That's great. I, this whole using them, like, having your voice projected from them seems so off book from what they're actually meant to be. Yeah, I wonder if, if the author just needed a way for them to communicate that was like different because I feel like we get a different form of communication and travel like every book there's something new but I feel like she just needed a way for the them to communicate so I don't know if it really makes sense for like what Patronuses are used for because we are introduced as Patronuses in the third book where they're repelling Dementors and like they're sort of their protectors from dark magic 
but in the, I think it's in the fifth book it's first introduced where it's like that's how you can communicate so it's just like a complete different side to this one thing and it's kind of like completely different from like its intention I wonder if maybe spells evolve in the wizarding world in a similar way that like technologies will evolve in the muggle world so mm-hmm. like for us phones originally existed to call people and so that's sort of like what the original purpose of the Patronus was to protect. And then for people's convenience, yeah. they added on other things. Like now we can also take pictures with our phones and we can, there's a calculator on our phones. So maybe in the wizarding world, creative people are always kind of finding new ways to use spells or adding things to traditional spells in order to make them more versatile. I think the explanation we get is that Dumbledore did it but i don't know if that's 100 true if he like kind of figured out how to get the patronuses to talk because i know it was told to us as it was a thing for dumbledore's um or the phoenix to communicate secretly because we know eventually they'll do it it just uh mm-hmm. i mean it's interesting i highly doubt dumbledore yeah. came up with it took credit for it feels like he doesn't have enough time to be like developing fun new spells like Someone Dumbledore knew came up with it, and then he used it. Well, I mean, maybe he could have time, because he ignores basically all his responsibilities. Honestly, it was probably Snape. But when it comes to, like, inventing new spells and being creative, it's too old to have been of the Weasley twins thing. So it was probably a Snape invented it, and then Dumbledore was like, look what I invented. <laughs> and then McGonagall will deal with the school stuff. I'm just going to sit in my office and neglect Harry and... Invent a new spell. I wonder if there's such thing as like Dumbledore loyalists. Like if there are people out there who would hear this and be really, really mad. Like how dare you blasphemize out this Dumbledore? Yeah, I'm wondering in the in because we've just been writing on Dumbledore for like the past like three episodes. I'm wondering if there's any like Dumbledore fans because I think I for the, me at least with the people I follow in like the fandom and stuff, I'm like everyone's pretty much like Dumbledore was a manipulator, and that's the general kind of um, the feelings I think through most of the fandom i think people still like dumbledore as a character but i definitely don't think it's like yeah okay well if you're out there and you're a huge dumbledore fan like you know how there's like people that hate snape like me and if people that love snape like you and it's a very split in the fandom but i don't think dumbledore's like that okay interesting i mean i gotta think some people love dumbledore like maybe some of the younger readers who like well yeah i'm assuming if you're younger because you don't know don't look that into like manipulation and stuff and just think he's fun and goofy but they shouldn't listen to our podcast because I swear a lot. <laughs> I think what else we could talk about that fits into communication. Maybe not communication technologies. Maybe we can expand on like the communication abilities of the characters we've met so far. Very true, yeah. Like, for example, Dumbledore is the worst communicator. He always leaves important information out and gives odd riddle answers that are not helpful, which is not effective communication whatsoever. No, it's not. Yeah, it's not at all. And then it kind of seems like the Weasleys each have very unique communication methods, and I think that's probably because they always have to, like, fight. Well, yeah, it's very cool. The Weasleys have that, um, that clock. I wonder if all families have kind of, like, their own way of communicating within each other. I'm sure they do. Like, some families are really sarcastic. Some make fun of each other a lot. Some are share all the intimate details of their lives and personal lives with each other. Some don't. Some families are more formal, even with each other. Some are completely informal. Some families swear in front of their parents. Some people couldn't imagine swearing or having their parents ever know they have sworn. (laughs) I think there's definitely unique communication skills. I think it's interesting how different members of the Weasleys families have their own unique communication method. And like, 
how you can look at their family dynamics to interpret that. Like Ginny is really bold and she says what she thinks and she says what she means. And that's probably from being the youngest in a huge family. And probably like the only girl as well. Yeah, she had she had to speak louder to be heard kind of. And she had to, probably she, they made fun of her so much for being a girl when she was younger that she had to really develop certain boldness and like internal strength in her own mm-hmm. convictions and just in order to like get through being in that family. And same with the twins, I think, sort of. They also are loud and boisterous and are a lot because I think if they weren't a lot, they would have gotten sort of lost in that family. So they had to be that much just to be noticed. It's also very interesting that we know Percy the way, you know, Percy's a very like prompt and like person, but he always is like overly polite and like, like he addresses him as mother and father and he's always very prim and proper that way. And I was just kind of like, it's so interesting for him compared to all the other kids because none of the other kids call him that. I think he has a formality that the others don't. And I think that probably has to do with his ambitions. I feel like he sees the people who are successful in like business and professional as being part of like higher class society. And he thinks that that is probably how they talk and how they address the people in their families. And he probably tries to absorb that and sort of make that his norm. Which again, makes sense for Percy, especially being like the third child and having Bill and Charlie have gone first. I do think there is some parent parentification going on we always see molly and arthur as like the best parents of this big family but it's a lot of kids so like we know ron has a lot of insecurities but where he fits in in his family and the attention that he probably wanted but he couldn't get so i feel like percy as like the third oldest he had a lot of work he felt either he was given a lot of responsibility for his younger siblings especially because he came before the twins and i feel like the twins were like a lot as like going from like three to five but i also feel like he kind of took it on because we know that Percy kind of, like, tries to, like, keep, like, he kind of butts into Ron and Jenny's business and he's always, like, trying to keep them in line. But I feel like he was kind of, like, either not really given that role, but felt like that he needed to take that role on to be responsible for the family. And I feel that that maybe had led to um, him having some internal resentment, which kind of came to head in the fifth book when he ends up leaving his family. Yeah, I definitely think that... Each of the kids developed a lot of their strengths and their weaknesses from existing in a family of so many kids and trying to get their time or the attention or whatever it is that they they needed in a family that really only had so much. I mean, they're great parents, the Weasleys, obviously. They're the... I love to talk about this more in depth when we get to the Weasleys, but I always wondered, it's kind of like a thing, like we know Arthur and Molly had all these kids, so I don't know what birth control is in the Wizarding World because who knows, but... um, I assume there's got to be a spell for that like or potion there's no way there's not a potion for that you know like i feel like you hope i mean i can't imagine having wanting to have six kids for reals but that's just me i can't imagine wanting to have any kids <laughs> maybe molly wanted yeah maybe molly wanted to have six kids but i'm like is it like personally like right for arthur because we know arthur is like this really great wizard and he could do like more in the ministry have a higher up job, have a better pay, but he he chooses not to because he likes where he is. I love Arthur and I totally get like doing what you want to do in your career, but I was like, is it right for him not to do that in, for the sake of his kids? Because we know that like they're barely scraping by at, at certain points in the book and we know Percy brings up the fact that he had to put up with less because his father didn't have ambitions and wasn't like willing to do what was necessary for the family. Yeah, it definitely feels like Arthur maybe could have accepted promotions and 
been providing more financially for his family. I don't know anything about those positions though. So maybe like they offered him different jobs, but they also involved more hours at the office as well. And maybe he decided that he'd rather provide more like emotional support and love to his family than financial support, which is like a good choice. And I'm not saying money is more important than emotional support, but maybe there's a like a somewhere in between that Arthur could have reached. Yeah, I'm just assuming that the Wizarding World is also a capitalist society. So that's also where this comes from, because I'm thinking of like the real world where like you would obviously not want to have kids if you couldn't afford them. And it's kind of like that thing, like, do you do what you love or do you do what's necessary? I wonder if, like, to me, there's no way that family planning isn't a thing that exists in the Wizarding World. Like, I'm sure they have means of protecting themselves from having unwanted children. I just kind of see the Weasleys as the kind of family that might just, like, take what life gives them. Like, they love all of their children, so maybe they don't intentionally want more kids but they know they'll love a kid if they have it so they just kind of which like is a choice maybe they just chose to like leave it up to fate and say like whatever happens is what should happen I guess but also it's interesting because I feel like some of the pureblood families should be having more kids like to me not so much the Weasleys but the elitist stuck up racist purebloods should be having as many kids as they can so that there's every family has more pureblood spouse options for their children So I wonder if, like, the wizards have ways to, like, not have kids, but they don't have ways to increase the likelihood of having kids. Because I can't imagine the Malfoys choosing to only have one son as much as they, like, spoiled him and loved him or whatever. I think that if you're gonna believe that, like, purebloods are the best and they should only marry other purebloods, then, like, you should be expected to have a boatload of children, I guess. Yeah. You think it would be like that, kind of, like, in, like, historical times where, like, the royals wanted as much kids as possible because they wanted as much heirs as possible. An heir, a spare, a spare to the heir, a couple to marry off so that your wealth can grow in foreign countries. And yeah, it just seems like the Weasleys are doing what elitist pureblood should be doing. Yeah, and they're seen as like trashy because they have all these kids and obviously they're a lot more like poorer. But like the Malfoys are seen as like better because they just have one son, which is like but like counterproductive to their goal. That's only one pure blood compared to their like uh, seven pure bloods or six or how many kids they have. It's seven. It's always seven, right? It's Bill, Charlie, Percy, so many. Fred, George, Ron. That is seven. I think I'm counting the twins as one person. <laughs> they are not the same person. Well, that seems to be it for us for now. We will be back to discuss chapter four of Philosopher's Stone. The Keeper of the Keys. If you have any thoughts on today's episode or would like to share your thoughts or theories on future chapters of Philosopher's Stone, feel free to email us at potterrevisitedpodcast at gmail.com. You can also reach us across social media at Potter Revisited. Thank you for listening and see you next time. Bye!